You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Just a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we could produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, at Podmania, YouTube, and Instagram, at The Real Podmania. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at www.podmania.weebly.com. Let's do this. And welcome to another episode of the Pod Mania Podcast, a retro pay-per-view review. And today, ladies and gentlemen, with it being WrestleMania season, at least for a little bit longer anyway, we've decided to review WrestleMania 10. And I say we, because I am joined once again by Garth. How are you, my friend? Hello, man. Yeah, good. Thanks, you. Yeah, not too bad at all. Much better for having watched some of this pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> because in typical 1994 fashion... There was some good, you know, when it was good, it was brilliant. There was some weird, and there was some absolute atrocities. Um, I mean, this pay-per-view took place in a turbulent time for the WWE, let's face it. Um, you know, amidst the steroid trial, the sort of bringing in of this new generation, the Razor Ramon, the Shawn Michaels, the Bret Hart yeah. trying to elevate them. This was the first WrestleMania with no Hulk Hogan at all. You know, gone with the heart, you know, apart from Lex Luger, with the big, strong, muscly men. And, you know, you've got a lot more athletic, a lot more athletic, a lot smaller, a lot quicker wrestlers. And I don't think I'm being harsh when I say, looking at the card, this pay-per-view overachieved. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. There's no well, the way fact, it should have been as good as it was. The fact that I had to have... Two people have two matches. Yes. Says, said everything about the roster at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And what was nice, I will say one good point about this pay-per-view as a whole, was the fact that after the seven-hour Valkyrie war opera that was <laughs> WrestleMania 34, it was nice to watch a WrestleMania that just clocked in at just under three hours. It was lovely, yeah. that. Quite manageable. Um, <laughs> but we'll get into it anyway. Um during this pay-per-view, which was uh, commented on by Vince McMahon, who continued his wonderful sort of repertoire of not being able to name a single move, and uh, Jerry the King Lawler, who I thought was absolutely fantastic throughout oh, this pay-per-view. I, yeah. You forget, a, you forget, don't you, just how good he is. Especially and when we've got like, go on. You forget sort of what a, a colour commentator used to be. Exactly. Exactly. It used to be straight down them, straight down. They were totally one-sided. They would, I mean, bloody hell! Some of the stuff he said when yeah. he's talking about like, um, like Helen Hart and stuff like that. Yes, he was not a fan of the Hart family, um, with the exception of Owen, obviously. Uh, he piled onto Mabel, didn't he? Absolutely oh, yeah. <laughs> piled onto the poor bloke. Um, I mean, what was one of some of the comments included? Um, if you want to pin. Uh, Mabel, you're going to have to scale the mountain. And just <laughs> talking about him being fat, basically. And you could tell it was just a completely different time. Yeah. You know, they were talking about the looks of Alundra Blaze and Lelina Kai, mm-hmm. you know, during the WWF Women's Championship match. Um, it was it was very clear that this was a different time to the wrestling we watch now. <laughs> and Definitely for the better, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it yeah. would be very uncomfortable if you had Byron Saxton commenting on the looks of Becky Lynch and Charlotte. <laughs> um, but overall, as I said, it was a good pay-per-view. We started with 
Owen Hart versus Bret Hart. And in my eyes, having seen this match now, I doubt there are many better opening matches. No. Um, in especially the annals of wrestling the, history. Especially with the, um, like the, it wasn't really a video package, was it? It was sort of just the interviews that they showed and the fact that Bret wouldn't fight him and all that and they had a fallen out sort of over the tag belts and things like that. Yeah, it was, it was no more than we needed. And I think yeah. a lot of the time, um, the WWE, especially now, spend a lot of time on their video packages. Here they just recapped, here's what happened in November, December, January, February, because this is a feud that started really at Survivor Series 1993, mm-hmm. when yeah. Owen was the only one eliminated from the Hearts team when he was taking on Shawn Michaels and the Knights, for some reason. Um, and he basically, this sort of kick-started the I am better than Brett. Yeah. I mean, I remember, like, I can remember at the time when I, like, obviously as a kid watching it and when Owen turned when he did that sort of sweep on Brett. Yeah. It was, like, it was a massive deal. I remember, like, me and people at school and things like that talking about it. Just absolutely in shock that the fact that these two might actually fight each other. It was unheard of back then. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Like, tag teams and brothers never really went against each other. Yeah, and it was it was an excellent heel versus face match. There was no tweeners. Owen was oh, no. quite obviously the heel from the fact that the crowd booed him out of the building. He came out <laughs> wearing Brett's sunglasses, which he then got into the ring and tore up, which was, you know, just, just little touches like that yeah. are absolutely fantastic. Um, I thought it was class when um, when Brett came out and gave the glasses to that kid, and he looked really shy. And the king was shouting, "He doesn't want those glasses, Brett." <laughs> a kid's obviously an own hard fan. <laughs> and uh, the, one of my first um, like the first things I noticed when I watched this because it's totally different when you watch them now. How big the crowd looked! It looked massive because they're not hidden behind like that big barrier. Yeah. Madison Square Garden always looks full no matter how many people are in it. It's very, yeah. very strange. Um, and I love the little doorway that they've got <laughs> between the two stands. Yeah. I just think that's really cool. Um, but this match, Owen dominated the majority of this match. Yeah. And, you know, if rumours are to be believed, and Owen wasn't even supposed to be the heart that was in this feud with Brett. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was supposed to be Bruce. Bruce I think I've heard, yeah. Um, you know, Owen had everything to everything to gain from this. Yeah, because he, he'd only recently come back. He'd been away, and he'd come back like the year, maybe sort of eight months, ten months before. Yeah. I mean, this was, there was nothing spectacular in this match. No, there was no, no, no high-flying moves. There was no, you know, springboard 450s or anything like that. It was just... Excellent, excellent storytelling. It was Owens, two. Go on. Yeah, it was two people who you knew, knew like beat for beat what each other was doing. Yeah, exactly. This was all about Owen wanting to be better than Brett. There was no mm-hmm. convoluted storyline where there was four, you know, four or five run-ins. It was literally just those two in the ring focusing on each other. And Owen, there was no frills about it. He wanted to hurt Brett. Oh yeah. And, you know, the King, as we've already said, was fantastic on commentary. He 
constantly made that point. You know, Owen's really trying to hurt Brett here. Mm -hmm. And I think the first point you noticed this was the fact that Owen focused almost solely on submission moves. Mm -hmm. And the leg. Exactly. And once he first injured the leg, or when Brett first injured the leg, he jumped over the rope and sort of landed very funny. Um, It was a kayfabe injury. It was made clear afterwards. Um, That was it then. Owen focused on nothing else. He locked in the figure four leg lock. He had him wrapped around the ring post. You know, he was doing knees to the knee. He was hanging him in the corner, hanging from the ropes and just belting his knee. It was was amazing. You know, it was just... Yeah. One. I was just saying it. It's like you were seeing things here at the time that, I mean, they're pretty common now, but stuff was happening in this match that never normally happened before. Exactly. That's why, like, that's why the the crowd kept. It was like a lot of sort of oohs and ahs because it was stuff that you never really saw. Things like um, I, like I noticed um, there was a move where I think was Brett. I think he was um, Owen was on Brett's back, so the only way to get him off, he ran at the ropes. Yes. And threw threw him through the ropes outside. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that ever. And it was like I say, it's it's weird looking back you know, in 2018 and seeing the crowd reacting to this when you look at now what we've got, we've got the Ricochet, the Will Ospreys and the Mm -hmm. stuff that they can do in the ring. But these were, and, you know, even more to a certain extent, the the ladder match, this was, you know, this was groundbreaking. The storytelling between these two was groundbreaking. I mean, what was the most expansive move? The the pile driver from Brett... And a couple of the suplexes. There was um, there was like a sort of corner springboard. Yes. By Owen, which you, um, again, you just you never ever saw that type of thing. Exactly, but it it didn't need anything more. Owen, Owen did the tombstone pile driver. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, I mean, like we've said before, Owen dominated this match. Um, but Brett, obviously, as he was the face, he was able to recover. Smacked Owen in the back of the head with a kick. Um. <laughs> had him locked in the sleeper hole. This was where the running in the ropes was. Um, And had Owen in the sleeper hold. He'd used a bulldog. But because of this knee, Owen was able to sort of ride the wave of pressure and end up back on top. He applied the sharpshooter. But then Brett sort of rolled out of it, attempted the sharpshooter, but just couldn't keep it in. Um, And then, this was very strange. Brett then goes to the top in order to attempt a victory roll. So he yeah. sort of gets off the top rope, sitting on Owen's shoulders, yeah. and sort of attempts to front flip, obviously, into the victory roll. And Owen does what I've <laughs> always wondered why people don't do this when they are in the midst of a victory roll. Why don't you just block it? Yeah, sit down. Yeah, exactly. Which is what <laughs> Owen did. Owen blocked it and pinned Brett to win the match. It was... I suppose at the, at the time it was a very inventive ending. But... I, I I can specifically remember watching that and thinking, oh no, like, like that's brilliant, that's so good, like it's so simple. But like I remember watching it and thinking that's that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it, it was. I, again, I imagine at the time it was fantastic. But looking back, it was right a now, massive you're like, upset. Why did more people do that? <laughs> yeah, it was a huge upset as well. It was massive. Brett was over huge all the way through. There was let's go Brett chant. You know, Owen was getting nothing and he was just, he was lapping it up. And every time we've reviewed something, 
where Owen Hart is in it, it's just been a pleasure because he's got such good character. He's got charisma oozing, you know, out of his body. And he went backstage then, obviously, Owen did afterwards. Had an interview with Todd Pettingill, who is the single most annoying man in the history of the world. He just he's he's like a fanboy. He really is. Oh, oh my totally. god, I'm, 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 I'm here backstage with Owen Hart. It's like shut up, Pettingill, you twat. Um but anyway, he's got this interview with Owen, who's got a little bit of saliva in the corner of his mouth. Really, <laughs> really difficult life. to uh really difficult to pay attention to what he's saying when he's got that there. But he says, Look, will Brett be able to compete later on? I don't know. He's a solid competitor, he's a good competitor, but oh. I am better. You know, I've proved it now. I am better. I've beaten him at WrestleMania. This is going to be the start of my ascension to the top. And do you know what? It made me angry. And we've talked about this before when we talked about our top 10 people who never won the WWE title. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't really. Once this feud with Brett had finished, it catapulted Brett into the main event, you know, consistently. But yeah. Owen was just mired in this, in this hell of a mid-card. You know, he mm-hmm. was lumped with about 55 tag team partners. Yeah. And yes, he won mid-card titles, he won the Intercontinental title, he won the European title. But, you know, just off this feud, imagine if he'd have won the title and it had been, you know, hot potato between him and Brett. I mean, that feud, I mean, they carried on this feud and they had what Dave Meltzer would label a five-star match in a steel cage at SummerSlam that year. You know, so they prove that they can have such chemistry. They are so inventive as wrestlers. It's almost like, why didn't this carry on? Yeah. I with think it was Owen getting um, the title. I think a lot of it was Vince wanting to separate them. He didn't want to have it as sort of just a heart thing all the time, and he want obviously that he wanted HBK in that top spot as well. Which is fine, but you need more than two people in top spot. Yeah, I mean, look at the WWE was... now. Look at their main event scene. It's stacked. All right. I always, I always thought. If Owen had had the Intercontinental and Brett had had the the championship, if they'd had like some um, like undisputed sort of matches, similar to Hogan and Warrior, yeah, at WrestleMania six, off, have like have them come off, like have a few of them come off as a draw or as a no contest, so one never got the upper hand for a couple of sort of pay per views. Well, look back but at nineteen eighty, I think it's nineteen eighty nine. Did anyone ever get bored of seeing Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat? Exactly. Never. Did it, you know, look now, if I told you that the main event of what's in there, uh, Wrestling Dontaku in New Japan Pro Wrestling was Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada, would you go, well, I've seen that three times, I don't want to see it again? No, of course That's you wouldn't. You're not going to get <laughs> too much of a good thing, are you? Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's Roman Reigns headlining WrestleMania 35, which he probably will do. Against Brock. Against Brock, yeah. <laughs> Where he loses again. So. <laughs> We moved on from this match and sprinkled throughout this pay-per-view were, and I think I'm right in saying, this was the first real coining of that WrestleMania moment. Yeah, and yeah. fuck me did they drill this into you during this pay-per-view <laughs> because between every match they would uh, have a moment from each of the WrestleManias, each of the nine previous WrestleManias. Literally they would a have moment. Little, li- literally 20 seconds of a, a WrestleMania moment. And some of them, you're like, yeah, absolutely, this is a WrestleMania moment. Some of them, you think, how the pissing hell was that a WrestleMania moment? Some I think of them made them perfect sense. You know, before the Randy Savage match, we had Randy Savage winning the title of WrestleMania 4. That makes yeah. perfect sense. 
The one for <laughs> WrestleMania 8 was The Undertaker was there. Yeah, he turned up. Yeah. It's like, what? Eight? What has that got to do with anything for a start? And how is that a WrestleMania moment? It already turned up at another WrestleMania. I loved it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and all the stupid shitty bits in between as well with like... Um... Um, whoever that size Sperling was. Oh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So, we've just come off the back of a Bretton Owen Hart match that Dave Meltzer has rated four and three quarter stars, not five stars, as I incorrectly said at the end of our last retro pay-per-view. It wasn't the match I was thinking of. Um, We have got um, Cy Sperling. Who is Cy Sperling, you say? Fuck knows. Nobody knows. Apparently, he's the president of a hair restoration company, which is called Hair Club for Men. Don't care? Nope, we didn't either. Um, and he appeared in the room before the next match, said that he was going to introduce one of his latest clients. That client turned out to be Howard Finkel in a toupee. <laughs> I love Howard Finkel, like. Howard Finkel's brilliant, but what the fuck was this? And then, it's just, there must just be Vince's mate. Yeah, but like, and they really did drill home this whole celebrity thing yeah, here. Not, not as much as other WrestleManias I know, and thank God we've moved away from it to a certain extent. I know we had Gronk at WrestleMania 33, and obviously we had Ronda Rousey at 34, but it's slightly different. I mean, here, it was just literally just drilling celebrities down your throat because it worked at a couple of WrestleManias. Yes, I understand that the WWE slash WWF want that crossover appeal, want that, you know, that... I don't know, just they want to be in the mainstream and... Yeah. But is having, you know, Johnny Wahlberg <laughs> as announced one of the matches while he might possibly have been stoned because I couldn't hear a word he was saying. Just like, yeah, and we've got Plus, now. The fact at the time, I'm pretty sure New Kids on the Block were way, way below like the sort of stellar stardom that they were in before. Is that who he is? That's Johnny Wahlberg. He was in New Kids on the Block. There you yeah. go. There you go. I had no idea who he was either. Uh, anyway, we're getting slightly distracted. So, Cy Sperling came in, stole the show, um, as, you know, a president of a hair club for men would. Um, Finkel introduced the next match, which was a sort of a mixed tag match between Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon against Dink and Doink. The stipulation being that every time Dink was tagged in, Luna would have to be tagged in as well because as we know, women are only capable of fighting women and midgets. So or little people or I don't know what the acceptable term is. It would have been midget then. Yeah, it would have been midget then, yes, absolutely. Um whatever the acceptable term is, please insert that there. Um and what followed was Um Just an average match. It was it, just, it was it was serviceable. Bam bam right. looked like he was like I'm fighting what? two clowns yeah. at WrestleMania. I never ever life. used to have. I, I, I never had a problem with Doink. I always quite. He scared the shit out of us when he first came in because I hate clowns anyway. And he was like this evil thing, but at this point, I think he was facing. He was sort of happy, clappy clown. He was a different person. Yeah. Was um, it? Um, was it Brooklyn Brawler at this point? No, it was Roy Apollo. I think at this point. All oh, right. Um. Matt Osborne, who was the original Doink, when he was like mm-hmm. twisted, evil, creepy Doink. Yeah, that, that was horrible. that was brilliant. I love that. Yeah. 
that you know that's fine i don't mind a clown like that but when you've just got happy you know happy clappy clown i don't care i don't watch wrestling to see clowns if mm. i'm perfectly honest and when he bought it in dink it was like oh for fuck sake i liked luna though i like i always thought she was really good because she was just a bit batshit crazy I loved her. I thought she was brilliant, which, yeah. you know, it makes you wonder why Alundra Blaze often battled um, women from other promotions, uh, especially yeah. from Japan, for the title. When you've got someone like Luna <laughs> Vachon in the WWF, who, I could be wrong, she didn't battle much if she did. Mm. You know, no, I'd like not, to have not, seen that. She was, she was a lot more sort of outside of the ring stuff, Luna. Yeah. She was very much a, a valet, wasn't she? Yeah. Bam Bam. Um, but yeah, about this match, um, Bam Bam and Doink started out. Uh, Bam Bam got the upper hand after jumping the uh, Doink at the start. Hit a couple of nice drop kicks. Dink came in and just farted about for a bit. Sort of <laughs> ran round Luna until Luna lost temper and just kicked him in the midriff, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but apparently, Dink is a professional, or was a professional wrestler. I don't know if he's still alive. Um but he, he is a professional wrestler, and he, he sold really well. And, you know, oh, yeah. he moved very smoothly. So, yeah, fair play Went to him. the top rope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Came off the top rope. Um, Luna Vachon missed a load of moves, attempted the <laughs> elbow drop about four times, missed it all four times. Um, Bam Bam and Doink had a bit of back and forth until eventually Bam Bam hit the flying headbutt, um, or the diving headbutt to Doink, and eventually um, got the three count. Then... Bam Bam and Luna jumped <laughs> the pair of clowns. <laughs> and Botch time. Oh, good grief, the botch. Um, so basically, um, Dink was on the floor. and Or on the canvas, I should say. And both Bam Bam and Luna um, went for running elbows. And basically, they went for the elbow drop. And Dink, from what I understand, was supposed to roll out of the way of both of them so that both of them looked a bit silly. What happened was he rolled out <laughs> of the way of Bam Bam and then straight into the elbow drop from Luna Vachon, who then really annoyed with how it oh, had yeah, gone, yeah. just sort of shunted Dink towards the corner of the ring and sold it as though she'd missed as well. <laughs> so and bad. then Dink's music played at the end despite them having lost the match. Yeah, it's um, just so, it was so it was very very confusing, and Bam Bam deserved so much more than this. And you know <laughs> he would go on to headline WrestleMania eleven. Um, and to be perfectly honest, you know he pulled Lawrence Taylor to an average match, oh, yeah. which isn't easy. You know that's all credit to Bam Bam. Um, totally, yeah. This was then followed by um, a false count anywhere match. Oh, you're no, laughing, no. right? Before this, oh no, what have I forgotten? They uh, they went they cut the President Clinton. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I written that like, down as well. It's like it's like Vince's like obsession with celebrity. Even had them have uh, an impersonator for President Clinton. <laughs> it was it was the worst president impression I've ever seen. To the point where, to start with, they wouldn't pan close to him because they thought, oh, people will realise it's not the real president. <laughs> Everyone knew it wasn't the real president. Just, why is he there? He held up a sign. Nobody knew what it said because they refused to pan in on him. Um, it was 
utterly bizarre. And unfortunately, it's not the first event where they would have um, presidential sort of impersonators yeah. at their at their events. It's incredibly frustrating because it does take away from the you know the seriousness of some of the feuds. Yeah, like the legitimacy as well. And you know you've got some bloke pretending to be Bill Clinton stumbling over his words. Um, it's not the first time, it's not the last time either we'll see Bill Clinton. He will have a very, very awkward promo with IRS later on, who apparently <laughs> is just absolutely fine to sit with the president. Yeah. Apparently they'd had a feud. Who knew? <laughs> um, we're not going back to that later on, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, as I said before, um, we've now got a Falls Count Anywhere match between Randy Savage and Crush, accompanied by Mr. Fuji. Uh, the first thing I'm going to comment on is that the flag that Mr. Fuji is carrying, the Japanese flag bearing in mind that Mr. Fuji is from Hawaii, um, <laughs> as is Crush. So the Japanese flag was of absolutely no relevance whatsoever <laughs> because it wasn't even like Crush was billed from Japan. Um, but Mr. Fuji came in with the flag. Um, Crush came in as well. Randy Savage came out to an absolutely enormous pop. Yeah, absolutely enormous. At this point, I mean, I know, especially in the WWF, his in-ring career was sort of wrapping up. In fact, this might be one of his last televised matches. Yeah. Which, if he it is, well. is extremely, <clears throat> it's extremely sad because yeah. this match proved that he was still so over with the crowd and, you know, he could still go in the ring you know, this, apart from the very, very strange stipulation, which we'll get into in a minute, you know, this was a serviceable match. Um, it's just a shame that, A, it took the WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call them, so long to recognise Randy Savage and put him into the Hall of Fame. Hmm. And um, it's just a shame that perhaps he's overlooked somewhat when it comes to, like, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, because, yeah. for me, Savage was infinitely better than both of them. Oh, yeah, definitely in the ring. Not in the ring, on the mic, anywhere. He was fantastic. I, I absolutely loved Randy Savage. Um, but about that strange stipulation, as we false count anywhere matches now are literally you can pin a man wherever, and because the WWF at the time wanted to be a little bit crazy with their rules, they decided that this wasn't going to be the case for this very very special match. What they were going to do was to make it so fucking complicated that the <laughs> commentary team couldn't get across the rules to everyone. So basically what happened was, from what I can see, is a pinfall had to take place outside the ring. Yep. Although the commentary team didn't know this, which we'll get into in a minute. So a pinfall had to take place on the outside, but it would be scratched off if the person who was pinned made it back into the ring within one whole minute. <laughs> yeah, what? Be a, a very long minute. It, yeah, and some of those minutes were not a minute. Trust me. Anyway, um, Crush um, started with. The ascendancy, despite the fact that Savage attacked Crush first, um, hit this lovely tilt-a-world backbreaker, and yeah. then dropped him across the guardrail. Um, that was enough to get the first pinfall. Yep. Apparently, 
what is considered merely a transitional move now is enough to get a pinfall over an ex WWF champion. Um, Savage Savage sold as if he'd been absolutely destroyed. Yes, Savage sold it as though his spine had been ripped from his body by Crush. Um, anyway, so Savage sort of got up, stumbled his way to the ring where Mr. Fuji gave him this ever so taft, ta- this ever so soft love tap with the Japanese flag to sort of stop him getting in. So Savage then had to sell that for God knows how long until he got back into the ring with about two seconds to go. Um, but it just it made the match so, so bizarre. It yeah, was just so lab- like laborious and it was. slow. And that's I think it took away from the match. I was com- I was lost out of the match from there. Um, there was the spot, obviously, as with any Mr. Fuji match, uh, with the salt. Where, <laughs> so bad. Um, Crush took salt from Mr. Fuji as Randy Savage was selling. And then as he went to throw it into the face of Randy Savage, Randy Savage just basically kicked him. Um, so the salt went in his own face, to which the king said, shouldn't he be disqualified for that, Randy Savage? That's a foreign object. And Vince kind of went, there are no disqualifications in this match. No, further like, cementing the fact that nobody knew what the fuck was going on. The best part is the fact that he had all this sort of salt, which was blatantly not salt, in his hand. Savage kicked it up, and none of it went in his face. No, none all of it at all. Air. It sort of proved so around, didn't it? You see, like, Crush, he sort of act- actively rubs it in his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very, very... It's Oh, God. Um, anyway, so Savage sort of counters and then manages to gain the ascendancy, hits Crush with his pented elbow drop. But of course, you are not allowed to pin anyone inside the ring. So he has to roll roll Crush to the outside, (laughs) which it looks laborious to start off with. Uh, He manages to roll him to the outside, where he then gets a pinfall over him. And then we've then got to wait for Crush to effectively wake up. Um, <laughs> which Mitsufuji helps with by tipping a glass of water onto him, which I thought was quite funny. So he gets into the ring with two seconds left. <sighs> then, we then have them fighting even more. They fight to the back um, into the arena where Crush is then pinned, having been used to open a door. Yeah, smashed a bolt. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Randy Savage throws his throws him into a door which opens because it's not a lockable door it's just one of the swing doors that you get in corridors and that was enough for Crush who is billed 6'5 and he's built like a brick shit house. he was down for the three count then okay okay I'll buy it that's fine Randy Savage then spent a ridiculous amount of time attempting to wrap Crush's feet up in a wire that was quite handily there, and attaching it to a pulley, and would that rope attached to the pulley? No. God, no. So in the end, Randy Savage just kind of kicked him and left, which was really funny. <laughs> and then, as he kicked him, Crush sort of lowered to the ground really sadly. Like really slowly, yeah. <laughs> and obviously, didn't make it back to the ring for the um, before the minute was up, so Savage was eventually declared the winner. And I just feel like, the stipulation was so contrived, so ridiculous. If it had just been a falls count anywhere match that we know today where a fall can count anywhere, yeah. 
then it would have been an infinitely better match. An yeah, infinitely definitely. better match. Because let's face it, Randy Savage is in it. Um, Crush was alright. Crush was Crush wasn't an alright. He wasn't all right. too bad, was he? Um, he didn't have any stellar matches in his singles career. Though to be fair, the only time I've ever seen him in singles action was against Doink at WrestleMania <laughs> Nine. So that's perhaps not the, yeah. the best thing to compare him to. But yeah, it was just I just I don't understand how they thought that that stipulation would help the match flow, and sure enough, it didn't. It's like you say, it was just it's just them trying to be different. Vince is obsessed with being different than everybody else. Mm, he was. I mean, it worked somewhat with the ladder match. Oh, yeah, totally. Because yeah. this was a brand new concept, you know, but I don't know if this was the first ever or, you know. No, the, before that one, there was a uh, Michaels and Brett one in 92, I think. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. Oh, yes, I do remember that, of course. Um, but it was certainly the groundbreaking one. Where people thought, bloody hell! Oh yeah, with this cumbersome object, you can do a lot with it. But of course, before we get there, we've got to wade through some shit. So <laughs> we got a serviceable match, a serviceable match next for the WWF Women's Championship as the champion Alundra Blaze uh, took on Lelina Kai. There wasn't a lot that went on in this yeah. match. After all, it did only last three minutes. It was all right. It was... Um, yeah, it was serviceable. You know, I've got no issues with the match. Blaze looked really good, but then again, she, you yeah. know, she was really good. You mm-hmm. know, she performed two sunset flips, which looked ace. Um, Kai, she was just billed as like a powerful woman. You know, she was very based around power slams, suplexes, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, Blaze got the win, as you know, I think we all expected. As yeah. unfortunately, it's really good no finish one as well. Like Kai the, is. Like- the German suplex pin, I thought, was looked really good. The German suplex was picture perfect. It was, it was literally a perfect plex. Yeah. It was lovely. Um, but unfortunately, just... The WWF Women's Championship was just such an afterthought at that time. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That no one cared about it. You know, it's that Pavlovian thing again that because the WWF didn't care about it, the crowd didn't really care about it. Don't get me wrong, Alundra Blaze still got a huge pop because it's Alundra Blaze and she yeah. got herself over. But, you know, I mean, no one was under any illusions that Lillian Akai was walking away with this title because... It's it's, it's so sad that someone like Alundra Blaze, who was so good, never really got <clears throat> anyone to sort of have a proper feud with or never got really a chance to properly shine in a match. It's sad like, as well she... that she left for WCW to have you know, to sort of have this woman's division that she dreamed yeah. of, you know, and had it promised to her. And then <laughs> it just, the exact same thing happened at WCW. The exact same thing where she just had to basically... Mix tags and stuff, wasn't Exactly. It? And it's a shame because, as you say, she is phenomenal in the ring. She was really, really good in the ring. And she was a trendsetter, you know, gone with the days of, you know, two-minute matches of you know, terrible, terrible wrestlers. She was yeah. a legitimately good wrestler. She would have easily fit in with today's product. Yeah, easily. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, she'd have been part of that woman's revolution. Mm-hmm. Oh, just imagine Alundra Blade versus Charlotte Flair. Exactly. That is a dream match. Quite similar as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but of course, as we all know, uh, the king was more interested in looks, <laughs> yeah. which was incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. Um <laughs> 
speaking of uncomfortable comments, the next match was for the tag team titles, where the men on a mission, accompanied by Oscar, uh, which was, of course, Mabel and Mo, challenged the Quebecers for the WWF Tag Team Championships. And... Managed by... Uh, it was Raven. It was Johnny Polo who was actually who would be go on to become Raven. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, um, <laughs> which was yeah, very very overbooked match with an ending that I don't really understand. But we'll we'll get into that. No idea. Um, it was a very big man little man match. Uh, yeah. Basically, Mabel was billed as sort of the power behind it, whereas Mo was Mo was fairly. Athletic, if I'm perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, I um, thought uh, like the Quebecers were always really good as well. They were underrated. Um, even though, was... um, even though Vince kept calling them the Mounties. <laughs> well, to be fair, they should have just been called the Mounties. Yeah. Um, they performed love two lovely um, sort of like bat team bat body drops where yeah. one of them would drop the other onto um, the person who was on the floor, but then right. he did it over the top rope as well. That was brilliant. Like, which was really, like really good. Thing. I think yeah. it was on Mo. Um, but yeah, that was really good. Um, Mabel was just... Mabel. Mabel, yeah. He missed an avalanche. That was that was literally all I can remember about Mabel. Mo managed to get a cannonball, a running cannonball, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was amazing. Um, but it was... There was times in the, as well when I was watching, I was like, who's the legal man here? I couldn't work that out either. Couldn't work out there who the legal no, man was. Couldn't work title. out who on earth told Mo his ring attire looked good and that it was okay <laughs> to go into WrestleMania dressed like that. Um, like a baby. <laughs> who thought that the Mounties theme tune was good. I like it. I absolutely despise it. Not um, like it, but I just... It, it was so hateable, if you know what I mean. I'm so the Mountie. I'm, I'm get, my man. It was just it was so far, it was sang so badly and it was such a bad song. That's why I think looking back, I liked it because I hated the money. Well yeah. But you supposed to like, that was what was good about being a yeah. heel, you were supposed to hate them. Um But then the ending came, it was very, very sudden. Fuck knows. And I, I just I don't understand where it came from. Basically, one of the Quebecers, because I don't know which one's which, um, one of the Quebecers ended up on the outside, which was fine. Then Johnny Polo, who was the Quebecers manager at the time, and obviously as we've discussed, was you know would go on to become Raven, yanked the other Quebecer out of the ring, and then started <laughs> to walk team. off. And then men on the despite it being nowhere near a ten count. Unless you're going one, two, three. There was no way there was 10 seconds gone. Men on a mission then won the match. But obviously you can't win the belts via count out. Yet they still stood there holding up the belts. (laughs) Celebrating. And it was very much a Lex Luger moment at SummerSlam uh, 1993. You haven't won via count out. And you've got Oscar going... Ooh, there it is. It's like, oh, for God's sake. They even had, they even had, I think it was like the king had to even say, like, no, they can't win the belts. And then Vince said, well, they're just sort of pretending. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, Mabel, can you do nothing? It was like, yeah, they're just doing, like, they're just 
doing it as if they had won it. Yeah. It... <laughs> Just trying to make make up for it. So, look, we we sound like we're ragging on the event. We're not. It's just there was some very, very strange booking decisions that we're still not sure of. <clears throat> now, a little bit of backstory. Um, at the Royal Rumble 1994, both Brett and Lex Luger fell to the floor at the same time, meaning that, effectively, they both won the Royal Rumble and would therefore both challenge Yokozuna. Um, at this time, there are several stories of what happened next, basically. Uh, one is that Brett was always taking the belt at the end. No matter yeah. who won in this match, Brett was always going to take the belt in the main event. And this was because, after the Royal Rumble, they decided to see who was more over out of Luger, the guy they were trying to get over. You know, where have we heard that from? You know, mm-hmm. where have we heard that before? Um against Brett, the guy who was over, and obviously they announced Lex Luger the winner and he got a lukewarm reception. And then they announced Brett as the winner and the roof came off the place. And rumour has it that Vince rang Brett the next day and said, yeah, you're getting the belt yeah. in the main event. So the only thing then that was left to decide is whether it will be Lex Luger or Yokozuna, who's the current champion, who would then go on to face Brett in the main event. Now... Rumour has it that originally this was supposed to be Lex, who would then lose it to Brett in the main event, having taken it off Yokozuna. But apparently, if you believe what we are told, um, as Lex, Brett, and a couple of other people were talking about what was supposed to happen, um, pardon me, a reporter from the New York Daily, Daily News, I think, uh, <laughs> overheard it and published what was going to happen on the day of WrestleMania. So Lex got a very, very hefty slap on the wrist and basically that forced Vince to go with Yoko instead. Yeah. Of course, this would be the last time Lex Luger was anywhere near the championship and he would ultimately (laughs) defect to WCW having been shunted down the card and being forced to be part of a terrible tag team. So this match was effectively to ascertain who was going to face Brett. Um, Yokozuna came out um, alongside about 14 different managers um, (laughs) because at that point he was managed by Mr. Fuji, but then he'd got his American mouthpiece in Jim Cornette. Jim Jim Cornette Cornette is a national treasure. I love Jim Cornette. He was brilliant, not only in this match, but in the promo he gave afterwards. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely Superb. He never missed a beat. Every single word was crisp, concise. He knew exactly what he was trying to say. And he was just brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Let's not forget Mr. Perfect came out as well. Oh, don't you worry. I'm getting to that. (laughs) Now, at this point, it was told to us that before a special guest referee is uh, chosen, it has got to be approved by both parties. Now, at this point, I was like, well, that is utter bullshit. Because why on earth would Triple H have a match with Undertaker with shape with um Shawn Michaels as the guest referee? Why would Undertaker agree to that? That makes no sense. But that was the thing that they were trying to get through to us, and this would be used obviously later on, because as you can imagine, 
it didn't have a clean finish. Um, Yokozuna, as he tends to do, because despite the fact that I really, really like him, um, he could only work in short bursts. Yeah. Um, and after Luger had knocked him out of the ring once, you know, he got back in and proceeded to dominate with a series of clotheslines, a series of chops, a series of submission holds. Um, Lucas sold hardly anything. Lucas sold nothing at all Shit. because he's got no personality at all. He's got he's just he's just a boring human being. He's got a boring face. He's got boring move set. He just he didn't have what it took to be a champion. And if he had got the championship, it would be the most boring reign ever. It would have eclipsed Diesel's boring reign. But when he when he comes out, you can tell. What the end of the match is going to be? You can just tell because oh, of his face. Yes, I'm meant to say that. Oh my god, what lose face Luger had! Luger <laughs> came like his... out. I'm sure he was supposed to be coming across as concentrating and you know focused, but he just came across as a miserable twat who was going to lose yeah. his match. He high fived like... no one, despite him being a massive baby face. <laughs> just sort of looked like at the ring like okay. all, all American hero who'd slammed. For only person to slam Yokozuna, and he's just come out there with a total pet lip. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you talked about the past. He did manage to slam Yokozuna during this as well, uh, but Yokozuna managed to get up um, after Jim Cornette yanked the referee out. Yeah, Cornette um, looked brilliant in that suit as well. That suit and that dazzly um, tennis racket looked <laughs> amazing. Um, anyway, so Luger then got the upper hand, did his stupid move where he's got a metal plate in his wrist. So he knocked out Yokozuna, went for the cover, but Mr. Perfect at this point was being distracted by Jim Cornette. Um, Mr. Fuji was on one side of the ring apron, Jim Cornette was on the other. Um, So Luger, in perfectly reasonable babyface fashion, then slammed Jim Cornette into the ring. (laughs) It was Um, a class bump as well. It was a fantastic bump. It's not the only bump he takes during this night either. (laughs) Um, so then he then gets Mr. Fuji, who even at this point looked frail, and slammed him into the ring, and then basically pushed Mr. Perfect and said, why on earth are you not counting the pinfall? So Mr. Perfect then goes to check that, you know, he hasn't killed Mr. Fuji. Um, and then Luger pushes him again. Mr. Perfect then goes, all right, calls the match out, like. yeah, disqualifies Luger and walks away, which is brilliant. Luger loses his shit. But not as much as the crowd did, who even in 1994 yeah. oh, started yeah. a loud rowdy chant of bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, to which even Vince couldn't ignore. No. Um, he was like, listen yes, to the crowd, listen. I agree, listen to the crowd. They know what they want. They know what they feel. The best thing is, is like, Mr. Perfect just goes over to the corner as calm as you like and just goes, nah, ring the bell. Yeah, I'm not having that, <laughs> mate. just walks in his all-in-one referee sort of jumpsuit. He's just fantastic. He really is. Anyway, he makes his way backstage to where Tom Pettingill is there again. Fuck off, Todd. Um, <laughs> sort of lassoes Mr. Perfect, says, what was that all about? Uh, Mr. Perfect explains his perfectly reasonable argument <laughs> um, to which Mr. Boring comes backstage and loses his shit at Mr. Perfect, saying, you know... That was baloney and, you know, lots that of... That was bogus. That was bogus. That was the one. You <laughs> know, know lots of lovely weird. PC words from Lex Luger um, just explain how, you know, that's ridiculous. How dare you 
cost me the championship. And Mr. Perfect all the time is going, you can't push an official. You nobody cannot push an official. Yeah, nobody... T- well, he speaks about himself in the third person, which is even better. Mr. Perfect <laughs> called the match. You don't touch Mr. Perfect. He's absolutely brilliant. Um, in my opinion, I know that this was supposed to get Lex Luger some manner of sympathy. It didn't. It just made him look like a petulant child. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a total knob. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this match got half a star, which is amazing uh, in itself. <laughs> and do you know what? It's not because of Yokozuna. No. Um, it's like you say, I mean, Luger, I don't know whether he had the Randy Orton's about him where he knew he wasn't getting anything out of this match, so he just wasn't going to try. Yeah. Um, he looked legitimately pissed off at Mr. Perfect backstage, as I suppose you would be, but when you are trying to throw old men into the ring because they've accidentally distracted the referee, which is perfect manager practice, hmm. then what do you expect? Really? So yes, it would be Yokozuna against Bret Hart in the main event. This brought us to Howard Finkel, who was standing in the ring, uh, you know, basically showing off his new hair, as you would. Uh, Harvey Whippleman came in and proceeded to (laughs) completely obliterate Howard Finkel for no reason. He basically said... You've got an ugly face, you've got massive ears, you've got a banana nose, your shirt's a, your shirt's a bit gay. You know, just go away. And then he tore the pocket off Finkel's, like, Suiting. suit. And then carried on, to which Finkel pushed Harvey Whippleman over, because, you know, he weighs about £30. Pounds, um, to which brought Adam Bond to the ring. <laughs> it's the worst just, reason to come... What? Why? Um, so he came to the ring to obviously save his manager... Uh, you know, from the fury that was Howard Finkel, um, and sort of started <laughs> pushing him around, intimidating him, which then in turn brought Earthquake to the ring. <laughs> what the hell is Earthquake doing now? Why is Earthquake there? Um, he comes to the ring um, to sort of save the day. He performs two running power bombs on uh, Adam Bomb. Sorry, running power slams on Adam Bomb before hitting the Earthquake splash for the pinfall victory in 35 seconds. What was the point in this match? No idea. I'm guessing it's a, a payday. <laughs> well, Get them on the card. Originally, if rumours are to be believed, I've done some research, you know, it's not all reactions, people. I do do my research. <laughs> um, Adam Bond was a replacement for Ludwig Borger, who oh, right. uh, got an injury. So, supposedly, the original match was supposed to be Earthquake against Ludwig Borger, and don't get me wrong, that would be a barnstormer, um, but we <laughs> ended up with Adam Bomb being pinned after 35 seconds to just destroy his career. Yeah. Um, after this, we got an absolutely sensational promo, which we've already alluded to. Um, Todd Pettengill is there again, you know, like a bad smell. Um, and around in the locker room. They're all there in the locker room. Jim Cornette's there. Yokozuna's there. His acting is terrible. We'll get into that in a minute. Mr. Fuji stands at the back, smiling the entire time, does not say a word. <laughs> Jim Cornette basically builds up Yokozuna, telling Brett that he's got no chance of coming back from this. You've had your heart ripped out by your brother. This is the shark. You know, what you're going to do is you're going to yeah. put the blood into the water, and that's going to be what <clears throat> incites the beast inside Yokozuna. Now, what they do at this point, during... Uh, Cornet's building up of Yokozuna. They inte- they start to pan into his face and zoom into his face, into Yokozuna's <laughs> face, 
and Yokozuna, clearly startled by this turn of events, tries to look angry and instead looks A, slightly aroused, and B, looks absolutely terrified and proceeds to make this noise. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, I don't care if that comes out of a £30 man or a £535 man. There is no way that sounds scary. It just looked confused and like he was trying to sort of squeeze out a shit. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he looked like. He looked constipated. Um, but the best then, thing about that was when um, Cornette says, uh, he says, yes, Brett, don't think, we've, don't think we didn't notice your knee sort of thing. Yeah, continuing that storyline. But he just said it in passing. It wasn't like a major part. It was just he said, don't think we didn't, uh, didn't realise. That's the best thing about Cornet. He's so on the ball. He really is. And do you know what? Yokozuna is at his best when he's shouting because that last bit where he shouts and shouts something Bans- and then Banzai. Banzai, it just it sounded brilliant. And it does make you think of Yokozuna as a legitimate threat, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Did all it was supposed to do and more. <laughs> then, oh, we got the Intercontinental Championship ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. Both, of course thinking that they were Intercontinental Champion. This <laughs> was to ascertain who was the real Intercontinental Champion. And what a match. Absolutely fantastic. Shawn Michaels came out, obviously, with Diesel, who was almost instantly ejected from the ring after attacking yeah. Razor Ramon on the outside. Um, <laughs> Razor came out looking amazing. He, he looked... I for, like Watching that, I forgot how when he was at his peak and like the condition he was in, how big he was and how good he looked. Like he, he looked like a top, top star. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said to you, this is the first time I've seen this match. And to be honest, I haven't got, I haven't seen a lot of Razor Ramon's singles action or indeed mm-hmm. Scott Hall's to be perfectly honest. Well, apart from his WrestleMania 18 match against Stone Cold, which was <laughs> shite. Yeah. So it was, it was fantastic to see him at, Basically, this was his peak. Yeah. Um, He looked fantastic. He looked solid. Um, As I said, Diesel attacked him on the outside when he got thrown out by Sean. Um, What made me laugh was Earl Hebner, who was the referee um, during this match, looked at Sean and go, did you see anything? Did Diesel attack him? He's like, Sean isn't going to say yes, is he? Diesel's his manager, you moron. Diesel's shouting at him. He's like, did you see something? Did you see something? (laughs) Oh, God. I noticed as well on this. And I brought it up when we did the Mania review. This outfit that Shawn Michaels wore is what reminded us what the Miz was wearing. Oh yeah, Mania. I saw see those, that. Yeah, those those glasses and the sort of design on his coat. Yeah, the glasses especially, I can see. Yeah, it's totally reminded us of that. <laughs> um, and then following this was just uninterrupted just fabulousness. There's a bit where he, th- he threw Razor out. And you could see Razor had to stop himself because he was going to hit the table. He's going to go into the um, announce table. There was a couple of points like that. Um, <laughs> there was one point where Razor Ramon has ripped up the matting to expose the concrete, um, obviously to put Sean onto it. Sean reverses it and back body drops him over the yeah. top rope onto the concrete. And the slap it makes, it sounds legitimately painful. At this point, yeah. Sean brings the ladder. It's the first time the ladder's been brought into the match. It gets a bigger pop than Crush did. And honestly, the way Sean hits Razor with it oh, throughout yeah. this match, Sean holds nothing back. And there's one point where Razor's up against the rope and the camera briefly 
zooms in on his back, and the welts on his back yeah. are just, just a bit absolutely where, um, massive. Where Riz is trying to put the ladder into the ring, and Bret Hart like sort of kicks it into him. Sure. And that looked sorry, yeah, Sean. <laughs> and that looked that looked pretty. It did. Like, there was one point where Sean just lost all interest in it and instead of hitting him with the ladder whilst Razor was propped up against the ropes Sean just lobbed it at him yeah, was which was funny. brilliant um, I mean don't get me wrong I know that at the, in this match Razor Ramon is supposed to be a baby face but there's no way Razor Ramon is a baby face or not. there's just no way it just doesn't look even, even when he was obviously like at the time he just he doesn't look it no, he doesn't. There's... He looks like he should be bad. But his catchphrase is, I'm the bad guy. Yeah. So, oh, his thing is to, you know, insult people by flicking a toothpick at them, which he did in <laughs> this match. And threatening the uh, the officials if they do mess up his gold. Oh, just brilliant. Um, <laughs> this obviously led to our first big spot of the match where Sean set up the ladder in the middle of the ring and he goes for the splash off the top of the ladder, and the king lost his mind at this bit. Um, the crowd lost it at this bit because obviously this was this was unheard of back then. Yeah. And you know, it was like a, go on, sorry. He does like um, does he do that? He has like an elbow first, and then he does the splash from the corner. Yes, that's correct. Because yeah, there's, there's a bit where he's climbing up and raising. Tries to stop him and ends up pulling his pants down. <laughs> yeah. So he does an elbow drop with his pants around his bloody. I love face. the fact that he didn't bother just trying to pull his trousers up first. No, just, just so, did the elbow drop. Yeah, we've all seen Shane. Uh, Shawn Michaels is arse now. Lovely. But yeah, that 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 shot of the the sort of body splash. That's like an iconic piece of now, isn't it? That they always showed. Oh yeah. Any highlight? Absolutely, absolutely. Um. It wasn't my favourite moment of the match. My favourite moment no, no, of the no. match was um, Razor was on the floor and... He, like rides it onto him. Yeah, Sean got the ladder in the corner, got to the top rope, jumped on the ladder and sort of rode it onto <laughs> Razor. It's excellent, that. Uh, there's just there's so many good inventive spots. I mean, we talked about how, and I know this is a very, very bizarre comparison, but we talked, when we watched NXT take over New Orleans... And you look at how ladder matches have progressed and oh, the yeah. spots and, you know, the stuff that people can do with them. This was the start of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was unheard of that anyone could perform a splash off a ladder. Well, like, everything that happened in this match, people had never seen. Like, because, I mean, how many people who watched WWE would have watched anything else? Not many. No. So this was people's first ever ladder match. Yeah, absolutely. And it blew... I mean, like I say again, it was my first and it absolutely blew my mind. Everything that happened, because obviously I was, what, 12, 13 at the time. This was before the curtain was sort of blown open. Everything was, like, legit real. Yeah. So every time that ladder hit, you thought, how are these guys not broken? And especially when the ladder breaks later on, or it's at least bent. I was just going to say, it's like that, that ladder was obviously just, they just bought it on the day. <laughs> yeah. And it was just buckling all over the place. I mean, there's one point where, after basically taking the majority of the offence, Razor um, counters, Irish whip Shane, uh, I keep calling him Shane, Sean, into the corner where the ladder is, and he hits yeah. it so hard. And then there's one point where the ladder's on the outside, propped up against the ring apron. 
<laughs> and um, Razor flips Sean into it, sort of catapults him into it, and he sort of grabs onto it and then just slowly falls back. Yeah, that's a, um, like a cardio, wasn't it? And then um, it's just it's just brilliant. Basically, Razor then gets the ladder back up, goes to climb for the titles, and Sean drop kicks the ladder, which <laughs> causes Razor Ramon to fall off it. It's just it's breathless. And there was two um there was was a two points where there was one where Sean's on there and Razor knocks him and he um sort of lands on the rope with his neck or well Yes and sort of sort flips of backwards. Spits all over the place and flips backwards, yeah. Sean I mean, Michaels is the best seller. He really is. Unbelievable. And then when he throws him into the corner where the ladder is and he flips over it. And then lands on the floor where the concrete was. He's just... It's its no wonder that he had to retire because of his back. Well, it was... that This was at the time when um, there was loads of questions about him not dropping the belt to people. And he yeah. was obviously... Every time he was in a match, he was always trying to overdo or outdo everybody. So obviously prove to Vince this is why I should keep the belt. Yeah. And actually and after fair, this as well, he said that he should take up a lighter schedule because every time he fights, it should be seen as a massive event. Mm. So, well, you know... I mean, it was. This was, this was like, a, like, this was amazing. <laughs> I mean, let's put... Let's let's be perfectly honest. I... When you look back at matches from the early 90s, you're worried that they won't translate to modern day. Oh, yeah. I mean, case in point, the Andre the Giant versus Hulk and Hogan... Uh, Hulk and Hogan? Hulk Hogan match from WrestleMania 3. You know, everyone raves about that match, how it's, you know, this iconic match. And you look at it now and go, it's all right. It's very, very sort of... Clunky. Minimal and, yeah, clunky. But, but unfortunately, so were a lot of Hulk Hogan's matches. It was everything at the time. You had to be, not there at the time, but you had to understand what was happening around it. Yeah. And people's mindsets were totally different then. And it's the same with this. It's the same with the ladder thing. People weren't... They didn't know everything about the business. They didn't know the terminology. They didn't know anything. We were totally in the dark. That's what, that's what made all this sort of, especially this stuff where it was a one like the the first times these things had happened. You like say it just that's what made it all so special. Yeah, and this match does translate amazingly. I mean, oh, I was yeah, hooked on this match. Couldn't look away. Whereas you know. During other matches in the show, I was you know I was texting, I was on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you know this match is so compelling, it's just. But even the stuff without the ladder, you know, when Sean hits the switch in music and a pile driver yeah. on Razor, it's just it's amazing. Um, yeah, because you, you think you think he's going to go for the Razor's edge, but he just pulls him up into a pile driver. It's just it's amazing. It's... Oh, that would have been fantastic because the King actually says, "Oh, the ultimate insult if he hits yeah. the Razor's edge." Um, but he doesn't, he hits the power driver um, then sets the ladder up on top of Razor Ramon which I thought was a yeah. nice touch sort of ascends to the top, uh, Razor gets up pushes the ladder and Sean lands cock first <laughs> on the top rope and somehow I've got no idea how he does this, he somehow manages to get his foot caught in the two ropes because yeah. they've, obviously, they've obviously discussed that that's the finish yeah, and he gets his foot caught and as Razor gets up um, you can see Sean gets loose. Then you re- then he realizes that Razor's struggling with the clasp of the belt, so he has to get his arm stuck as well. <laughs> and so, how the hell does he do that? But even so, Razor pulls down the belt. 
and he just pulls him down and falls. Yeah, he does. He falls a long way as well. Um, but honestly, what a match! What a match! And, and a massive, massive pop at that yeah. end as well. It's just it's Huge. it's a sensational match. It really is. I can't gush enough about it. The only bad thing about this match is that there. Well, it's not even rumor. It's Stone Cold fact is that this match went on so long that the next match, which was supposed to be a 10-man tag match, they included Sparky Plug, our old friend Sparky Plug, yeah. uh, IRS, Head Shrinkers, uh, the one, two, three kid, their friend, and, you know, Jeff Jarrett and among others. Um, basically, that match had to get pulled, which meant that none of them, them got a WrestleMania payday. Um, I mean, it's un- unbelievable when you think about that now. I mean, that would never happen now. They would just overrun. They would just... Yeah, absolutely. And when you think that this match, there was nine matches on the card, only three of four of them made it into double figures. <laughs> you know, this match was only eighteen minutes. I mean, if it hadn't have overrun, there was a good shout that this wouldn't have been anywhere near as good. It needed yeah. the build, and I'm sorry. I know that a lot of people missed out on their on their WrestleMania payday, and that's not okay. And, you know, everyone says that Randy Savage absolutely called them out and absolutely laid into both of them for running over. (laughs) But, you know, Sean's always maintained that if a match is that good and you know it's that good and it's getting over with the crowd and it's building a pay-per-view, which, let's face it, this pay-per-view is a two-match pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, You know, without that time, it could have been a lot worse. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is a fantastic match. It's perfectly paced. There's not a single botch that I can see apart from a couple of weird ladder things. Yeah, there's um, nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it at all. Um, there's one point where the ladder's set up in the middle and Sean just pushes it onto Razor, which looks quite funny. Just a really <laughs> arrogant, just have some of that. Um, but again, an absolutely fantastic match. It's unfortunate that the 10-man tag got cancelled. Though I would love to know how much time that would have gotten, or how much time was originally allocated to Razor Ramon and Michaels. I'm kind of glad to be honest because what 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 did it mean? It had no real sort of consequence. It's another... it's very strange. Its placement is very strange. If yeah. this was supposed to be the semi-main event of a WrestleMania, then <laughs> it was just effectively a let's get as many people as we possibly can on the card. It's a very strange one. Yeah. Anyway, this brings us to our main event. And this main event was obviously for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship, which Yokozuna retained earlier in the night against Lex Luger and against Bret Hart, who was still selling the knee injury, which was brilliant, good storyline continuity. Guest referee for the match? Rowdy Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper. And why the hell not? Because he was a brilliant referee. <laughs> proper sat everyone down, gave Jim Cornette a wonderful, lovely little right hook, which yeah. uh, Jim Cornette sold as though he'd broken his jaw. Um, <laughs> we got Burt Reynolds, guest announcing for the match. Okay, yeah, why not? We had a guest timekeeper, Jenny Garth. Don't know who Jenny she Garth. is. Beverly Hills 90210. There you go. I'm, I'm glad you know. Though this, I suppose, is your time period. She, she was a... Uh, she was... Hot commodity back then. Oh, was she? There you go. Yeah. That's why she was in the WWF. Her, her and Luke Perry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Look it up. I will. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm going to do. Uh, not right now. Don't worry, people. Um, so anyway, this match, it was always going to be difficult to follow the Razor-Sean match. Um, yeah. And they did as much as they could. But what you've got to remember is, during this, Yokozuna was billed at over £500. And <laughs> they were asking him to fight two matches. He'd already gone 14 minutes against Lex Luger. You know, this match wasn't going to be anything special, no matter who he worked with, even if it was with the excellence of execution, Bret Hart. Um, and this match went just over 10 minutes. And, you know, looking back on it now, as a main event, that is mind-boggling. Yeah. It really is. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we started with Yoko attacking Hart before the bell, and then that pretty much continued for the entire 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yokozuna absolutely brutalised Brett with a series of punches, a series of kicks. Brett constantly tried to come back, but just couldn't seem to get Yokozuna off his feet. Um, he just kept selling the knee as well, didn't he? He did, which was brilliant. Um, Cornette, like I said before, tried to distract, uh, tried to distract Roddy Piper, but Roddy Piper gave him a, a lovely little slap. Um, <laughs> there was one point where Hart is lying face down on the ring canvas, and Yokozuna does a leg drop mm-hmm. onto the back of Hart's head and it looks Brutal, it? horrible. Looks horrible. I mean, he missed the following avalanche, but that leg drop to the back of his head looked horrible. Absolutely it's funny because horrible. If, if you read, um, like I've read Breck's book and he says in that, he says working with Yoko was one of the easiest nights because he was so, he took good care of everyone. He was so light. I've heard, I've heard a lot of interviews who've said that Yokozuna was just a lovely person. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it Legends of Wrestling that he's um, that he's a part of, or something like that? It's something like that, and you look at him, and it's where uh, Jake Roberts is smashed out of his tree. No, right, yeah. um, and Yokozuna is enormous, absolutely yeah. enormous. Can't do anything, and you know, just. I feel bad for him that he's got to that state. But here, you know, he was he was fairly good. He managed to execute a belly-to-belly suplex on Brett, then attempted to yank him to the corner so he could do the bandside side <laughs> drop. Then, um, I'll read you out the text that I sent to Garth, having <laughs> just finished reading this. So, so, just to clarify... Bret Hart won the title because Yokozuna fell over. To which Garth goes, yes. To which I say, wow. Just wow. What a weird fucking end. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this pay-per-view ended because as Yokozuna ascended to the second rope, the second rope, not the top one, um, to execute the bonsai drop, he toppled backwards For no discernible reason. And if the commentary team hadn't said, oh, he slipped, it looks for all the world like it is the most staged fall yeah. ever. He sort of swings his arms around in the air. He does. Proper comic book sort of... Uh, so falls backwards, and Brett is able to pin him because the power and the force of falling <laughs> from the second rope is enough for Yokozuna, the WWF champion, not to be able to kick out of a three count. <laughs> Utterly fucking mental. 
And to be fair, Brett gets out of the way just in time. Yes, he does. You think if he hadn't, he would have been absolutely crushed. He would have been, yes, because Yokozuna wasn't. There was no care for who was underneath him at that point. It was literally, <laughs> I am going, get out of my way. Um, so what followed then was... Uh, was massive pop. <laughs> massive, huge pop. Bret Hart was you know, possibly the most over person in the company, bar Sean. Um, and then a load of face wrestlers came down. <laughs> to celebrate with him, okay? Just a, just you know, a random... Yeah, Razor Ramon, Tatanka, 1-2-3 Kid, who didn't get his match, Sparky Plug, didn't Sparky get his plug. match. Sparky uh, Plug. Oh, mate, Sparky Plug. And Macho Man Randy Savage. And, most bizarrely, Lex Luger. Lex Luger. Why would Lex <laughs> he's, Luger be there? He's, he's the first one down. He exactly. in the ring. Why are you there? You have, <laughs> you have lost your championship opportunity because you pushed a referee. And then you are there celebrating with Brett. Why? I was watching it, even though I know that it wasn't going to happen. I was watching it thinking, heel turn. Go on, heel turn. That would have been amazing. Proper Nakamura <laughs> AJ, low blow, yeah. with that metal bar in. Oh, <laughs> Maybe he'd have finally got over. Um, <laughs> but the match, the show closed with Owen Hart standing in the aisle before turning around and leaving, and the faces hoisting Brett onto their shoulders. <laughs> To celebrate so the fact that they have overturned the tyrannical wrath of Yokozuna by him falling ch- down, ch- chases Roddy Piper down the aisle. Yes, I just, I don't I don't understand what was supposed to happen there. But anyway, that was WrestleMania ten. It was very very strange. Um, but overall, for me. It was a two-match show. You know, I'm yeah. sure you agree. But for me, it's got to be a three and a half stars. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, three and a half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think... Mean, those, I think really the that's tag match generous. was okay. Yeah, the tag match was all right. Yeah, I mean, um, looking at the match card, you've got the Owen and Brett match, which was fantastic. Bam Bam and Luna Vachon against Dink and Doink. That was okay. Yeah. Randy Savage and Crush would have been so much better without that utterly random stipulation uh, a lunch of blaze and Alina Kai that was it was much of a muchness yeah. uh, the tag match wasn't too bad you're absolutely right I quite enjoyed this I thought Mo really impressed me um, I don't know a lot about him I don't really know a lot about Man the Mission I know more about Viscera um, <laughs> than Mabel to be perfectly honest uh, Yokozuna defeated Lex Luger that was a random random match um, which it was just boring that was yeah, it was loads of, um, what was it, shoulder um, traps, sort of squeezing his shoulder for a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of headlocks, a lot of rest holds. Um, the earthquake had a bomb, not even counting that. Of course, then there was Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, which was, you know, outstanding. Oh, yeah. And then, to be honest, the Bret Hart-Yokozuna match was okay. Just, again, yeah. an utterly random, random end. Utterly random. Um, this is before this is before Vince Russo even came in. <laughs> it's very it's very very Vince Russo booking. <laughs> but just, if you are having your WWF champion who has effectively you know had the belt for so long, then lose it because he fell yes. down. It just okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so there you go, boy, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We have got WrestleMania ten in the can. We think it was a pretty good pay-per-view, possibly one of the better WrestleManias. 
um, especially at that time uh, yeah. when you consider you know we'd had we'd had WrestleMania seven, which was crap, WrestleMania oh. nine, which was crap, WrestleMania two, which was crap. So you know, definitely one of the better pay-per-views, definitely one that nobody expected to be good with sort of trials and tribulations that WWF was going yeah. through. But yeah. You've still got a couple of, couple of matches that stand up today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for a long time to come, I would have thought it is yeah. sort of a trailblazing match. But WrestleMania 10 was my choice. So Garth, that leaves you to choose yes. the next retro pay-per-view. What are you choosing, my friend, and why? I'm going to go for SummerSlam 1990. Lovely. Because, okay, enough 1990s wrestling. Because it was the first pay-per-view I ever saw. Really? Um, as a nine-year-old. Wow. Um, so I'm sure my age now. So. I was just going to say, you can all, but, work out, you all work out God's age now. And, and it's got the Ultimate Warrior. So Am I win-win. right in thinking that is the main event, the Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude cage match? It is. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking forward With to Bobby that. Heenan. Oh, Bobby Heenan's amazing. It's also got um, Mr. Perfect versus Texas Tornado. What? What? Really? <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, and um, the Rockers. Wow. Who are they taking on? Uh, Powers of Pain, Hercules and um, what do you call him? Oh, Paul Roma. Oh, yes. Power and Glory, yes. Power and Glory, sorry. That's, uh, yeah, I know which one you mean. Who, who else is on that card? I'm trying to think. I've seen it. I mean, I'm... To be honest, of all the pay-per-views, that's the one that I've probably seen the most. Um, I can't remember who else is on the card now, though. Um, I think the Heart Foundation are on it. Yes, Heart Foundation versus Demolition. Right, um, oh, that's going to be good. With It has a part in the match with, still to this day, the biggest pop I've ever heard. Oh, I think I know what's going to happen then. Yeah, is this where the Legion of Doom debut? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's used as like a sort of description, now, isn't it? Like a Legion of Doom pop. Oh, I am well looking forward to this now. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Some, some that movie. is what we are reviewing next. Make sure you join us next week where we'll be doing the five count, where we look at the top ten finishing moves in wrestling. Okay, there are a lot to choose from. It's going to be a fantastic list. Make sure you tune in for that. In the meantime, Garth, where can they find you on Twitter? At Drummer Jackson. Fantastic. You can find me at, at @realrobgoodwin. You can find this podcast at all the usual places, including iTunes, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, the whole lot. You can find us there. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, keep it easy, guys.